2: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Hello, and welcome back to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Movie Mike. That's me, aka Mike D from The Bobby Bones Show, aka the guy who didn't have a whole lot of friends in high school. Yes, that is me, but this is your go-to source for all things movies, spoiler-free movie reviews, interviews with actors directors and today talking about the greatest movie duos of all time i'll also talk to bailey madison and kevin quinn from the new movie on netflix called a week away without any further ado let's get started
4: in a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast one man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast.
3: So the question is, who is the greatest movie duo of all time? I put the question out on all my socials, was going through all the responses, and was really surprised in the diversity of the list. Now, when I kind of set my top five, I had to consider a couple things like who are a pair of actors that they work so well together and maybe otherwise if they're not a duo maybe not as good as a duo on screen they just are better together so that's what I put into my list and then I'll also get to what you guys voted as your top five duos of all time but I'll start first with my number five And I'll start first with my number five. It is Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor, who I just thought were two of the funniest comedians, and together it just worked. Now, they have a very kind of dynamic relationship personally. Like, I really think they didn't talk a whole lot outside of doing movies together, but on screen, they had such great chemistry. And I remember the first time I saw Hear No Evil, See No Evil. I was like, this is one of the funniest things ever because Richard Pryor is... Maybe a little bit before my time, but watching his stand up when I was younger, I was like, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. And I feel like he's such a funny comedian, but it also transferred into his movies and his roles. And when he was paired with Gene Wilder, who I feel kind of bad that he's mainly just known as Willy Wonka when he's such a great actor, whether he's doing anything dramatic or in comedy, like he's a really funny guy. And he's kind of pegged down as just being Willy Wonka. But when I saw this movie, I'll admit, I was in that same kind of camp of like, oh, it's uh, Willy Wonka being funny now. But he's so much more than that. And they have both since passed. But if you go back and watch this movie, it still makes me laugh. And not only that, they did Stir Crazy together, which is another great movie where they're together. And I just think them as a duo, I just think they don't get enough credit as they deserve. So I had to put them at number five.
4: You're really blind. Yes, I'm really blind, man. What are you, deaf? Yes,
0: I'm deaf.
4: You deaf? Yes, I'm deaf. you really deaf? I'm really deaf. How do you know what I'm saying? Because I'm reading your lips. Now, do you want the job or don't you? Because I'm blind. Hey, shove it up your pal.
3: At number four, I had to put an animated duo. And this is a duo that I think they only work together. Like, if you take one of these characters and put them in their own movie wouldn't work if you took the other one and try to make it their solo movie it wouldn't work they're a great team and it is Timon and Pumbaa from the Lion King I think without Timon and Pumbaa the Lion King doesn't work because on the surface of the Lion King it's kind of a sad depressing movie when you think about it of all the bad things that happen in the movie Simba basically going out to wither away and die and they rescue him and Timon and Pumbaa provide the comic relief for The Lion King. Without them, I don't think that movie would have worked. I did think it was interesting whenever they did Lion King one and a half and told the story from their perspective. I actually thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> and I know that was just a straight to VHS at the time release. And I hate it kind of when Disney does that. When they take a good you know, a good concept and only make it a VHS or straight to DVD release. Oh well, man, back in the day it was a straight to DVD. I remember going to I would go to Trader's Village in Dallas, Texas. Actually in Grand Prairie. And I would go look at all the new Disney VHS's that would come out at the time. And I would try to find them like already used. And I think that's where I got Lion King one and a half. But that was the only way you could watch these movies. They didn't come out in theaters. A lot of the times Disney would just put out sequels straight to home movie. And again I've been rallying for this for Disney to. Now that they have Disney Plus and a streaming service where these movies can go. They should give us these titles. Like, luckily, Disney did put Lion King 1.5 on Disney Plus, so you can go watch it there if you need your Timon and Pumbaa fix.
0: Timon, ever wonder what those sparkly dots are up there? Pumbaa, they're fireflies.
4: Fireflies that got stuck up in that big bluish black thing. I always thought they were balls of gas burning billions of miles away. Pumbaa, what you?
3: At number three, I'm doing two actors who are great in their own right. They do their own great solo movies, are both great leading actors, but together they're just something special. And it is Seth Rogen and James Franco. The first time they appeared together was actually way back in the day on a TV show, Freaks and Geeks, which is another really great show if you haven't seen that. They're basically teenagers on that TV show, still funny, and have since done some movies together, which I think are probably their best in my opinion because... There's just something about them together that I think they make the other person step up their game a little bit more. Because James Franco himself, I don't think he's really known as being a straight-up comedic actor, but when you pair him with Seth Rogen, I think that side of him comes out a lot more, and you're able to get the witty, kind of ridiculous side of James Franco, which is really amplified in Pineapple Express, which is one of my favorite movies, but they've also done This Is The End, The Interview, and The Disaster Artist together. So I think they also have just a long line of work in movies together, which makes a really great duo. I wish they would have made a sequel to Pineapple Express. They're both really great friends, so I think whenever you have that kind of bond and relationship outside of working together, it really just comes across on screen being a lot better and more authentic. So in honor of some great friends together, I'm putting them at number three.
4: They say like, don't dip the pen in company ink. I'm totally glad I dipped in your ink, bro.
3: Yeah. At number two is what I would say is the most iconic animated duo of all time. We first saw them in Toy Story, and it is none other than Woody and Buzz Lightyear, voiced by Tom Hanks and Tim Allen, which the more I think about it, it's crazy they were able to get Tom Hanks and Tim Allen to both do this movie, both big stars in their own right, and the first one just took so much time To make because they were recording it a little bit at a time. They didn't really have the technology down. So there's really old footage of like a young Tom Hanks voicing Woody. And I also think that on screen it's just such a novel duo of a cowboy and a fictional space ranger based on another character. And the other great thing about them is throughout all of the four movies you really see their friendship grow from when they first originally didn't get along to them kind of battling all the other elements of friendship together, that there's a strong kind of character development in Toy Story that you don't really give them credit for. They're also just super easily recognizable and have stood the test of time. They were popular when I was a kid, and they're still popular now. I hope they're still popular when I decide to have kids so I can get my kids some Toy Story toys. So, had to put them at number two and also got a lot of messages from you guys as well voting for Woody and Buzz. So that's an easy one in the number two slot.
0: You are a toy! You weren't the real Buzz Lightyear! You're, you're an action figure! You are a child's plaything! You are a sad, strange little man, and you have my pity.
3: And before I get to number one, I have a couple honorable mentions, and then we'll get to what you guys voted as the top five. But I almost put Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone together. They've done like three movies together. I just feel like they have a lot of on-screen chemistry. And I feel like if you put them both in a movie, I can go into it with confidence knowing that it's probably going to be good and I'm going to enjoy it. Like I didn't expect to like La La Land, and I did. Also honorable mention Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence, who have also done a few movies together. And again, I think they also have, like, you almost believe that they are together and in a relationship when they are in Silver Lighting's playbook. They are both Oscar-worthy actors in any performance that they do, I think. And I feel like in the last 10 years, probably the most believable on-screen couple. Yes, even more so than Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. So I had to give them an honorable mention. But at number one, I'm putting a movie duo that I think together were fantastic and apart, maybe not up to the same standard. A movie duo that is no longer together because sadly one of them has passed away. And it is Chris Farley and David Spade. Whether it be Tommy Boy or Black Sheep, there was just something so special about these two when they did movies together. And it's because Chris Farley is just so physical with this comedy. He gives everything into every single performance, whether it was on SNL or it was in Beverly Hills Ninja. And then you pair him with David Spade, who is basically the opposite of Chris Farley. He doesn't do any physical comedy, but he's just kind of this witty, neurotic, kind of pokes fun and jabs at Chris Farley. And it just works so well together in these two movies specifically that I think they were two actors that people just love seeing together. And it's just the saddest thing that Chris Farley passed away, I feel like, really before he broke out into the mainstream. Because, you know, he was actually supposed to be Shrek. He was already voicing him, and they were actually writing and designing Shrek to look like Chris Farley, but he passed away before that movie was ever fully produced, so they shifted to Mike Myers. And I think if that would have been the case, if he was still alive, that movie came out, it would have really skyrocketed his career even more than it already was. And I think he's left behind a legacy in comedy, and one that just really gets highlighted when he's paired in these movies with David Spade. A duo that I think just hasn't been recreated over the years. You really can't touch it. So I put them at number one, no questions asked. That's who I would go with there.
4: Is this your coat?
3: (laughs) Don't do it. (laughs) That guy in a little coat. That guy in a little
4: coat. Don't. (laughs) That guy in a little coat. That guy in Little Gold. Richard, what's happening? Uh-oh.
3: Now, I put this question up on Twitter, Facebook, and my Instagram. It's all at MikeDistro if you don't follow me there. I counted up all the numbers, and this is what you guys voted as the top five movie duos of all time. At number five is Stelma and Louise, played by Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis which I would agree is a legendary duo, a movie that I feel like gets referenced in our lives for any two best friends together who would do anything for each other. So that's an easy number five. Glad you guys voted for that one. At number four with the next most votes is Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan in Rush Hour, which I agree with this one because they did do several movies together in the Rush Hour franchise. And I think when you do take two people who are so different and put them together, you make them do action, you make them do comedy, and it ends up really working like this, I feel like that's a great one at number four. At number three in the votes is Wayne's World with Wayne and Garth played by Mike Myers and Dana Carvey, which I thought about putting in my list, but I just don't think I'm that big of a Wayne's World fan as most people are. Like, I like the first one. I think it's funny. The second one, eh, it's all right. (laughs) I think as far as the SNL spinoff movies, it's probably the best. So I give them credit there. It's just not one of my favorites. It's never really been. But I'll give that to you guys at number three. At number two, with the next most votes, is Goose and Maverick, played by Anthony Edwards and Tom Cruise in Top Gun. Again, I know I'm not the biggest Tom Cruise fan, but I feel like the one movie I do kind of pull for him for isn't Top Gun. And the crazy thing about the sequel that's supposed to come out later this year, if it doesn't get delayed anymore, is that Tom Cruise is in it back as Maverick, but Miles Teller is actually playing the role of Goose's son. So no Goose in the next one, but it is Miles Teller playing the son, so which is kind of moving on the franchise. He's still keeping Tom Cruise around because, of course, he'll keep himself in the movie. And at number one with the most votes online was Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd playing Marty McFly and Doc in Back to the Future. Which makes me think of a TikTok I saw the other day and somebody asked a question. If you knew somebody had never seen a movie in their entire life... What movie would you recommend? And the video that had the most views in response to that question was actually Back to the Future because it has a mix of comedy, it has a mix of sci-fi, and it has a mix of adventure. And I actually think this is like one of the greatest movies that has it all. I agree with that. I think it's Michael J. Fox's best role. And without a doubt, Christopher Lloyd's best role put them together, and I would easily also put this in a top slot. So this was also one I considered on my list, but with so many votes, I felt like it was hands down what you guys were saying online. So that is your number one movie duo. Some honorable mentions, which were also highly voted on, were Ron Weasley and Harry Potter, Romy and Michelle, Bill and Ted, Milo and Otis, which I saw actually a good amount of people. They were almost at number five for Milo and Otis. Lilo and Stitch, the Blues Brothers, and then Star Wars was kind of split on who the best duo was there. So I think that hurt Star Wars a little bit in the votes, but the one that had the most was, of course, Han Solo and Chewbacca. And speaking of movie duos, I'm actually going to be talking to both Kevin Quinn and Bailey Madison. They are in a brand new Netflix movie called A Week Away. I'll talk to them after this.
0: I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy.
1: And my best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of.
0: I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true?
1: That's true, and I'm not offended by it. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Well, thank God for the limits.
2: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: About to get into a conversation with Bailey Madison and Kevin Quinn. They are the stars of the brand new musical on Netflix called A Week Away. They also have a huge following on Instagram, which I have to ask them about. Like, I'm talking over a million followers for Kevin Quinn, and Bailey Madison has over two million. So I really just want to know, like, do they have notifications on on their phone? Like, I feel like we all have Instagram on our phone and we get kind of excited every time we get a notification. But to have that many, I think you had to turn them off. It would drive you crazy. So, we'll talk about the movie, the kind of process that goes into making a musical, how a movie ends up on Netflix. But before we get to that, here's just a little bit of the trailer of A Week Away.
4: What's with the name, A Ouija Way? A Week Away. Every once in a while, somebody's just a week away from an experience that changed everything for them. (laughs) <laughs> nice to meet you. What's her story? Way out of your league, trust me. Her dad owns the place. If I'm going to fit in here, I have to be something I'm not.
5: Well, this will be fun. Good luck, Will. You're going to need it. How
4: you going, Mike? Hey. Hi, Mike. How are you all
3: doing? Good, Good. how are you? Yeah. Well,
5: how
3: great, you great to talk to you guys. I'm on with Bailey Madison and Kevin Quinn from the new Netflix movie, A Week Away. And I... I was so excited to watch this movie and when it opened up I didn't realize you actually filmed the movie in Nashville which is where I am right now and y'all filmed it back in
4: 2019. Did y'all get to do anything fun while y'all were here? I'm in Nashville all the time. I've probably been uh, maybe 25 times within the past four years. Uh, I originally started going there to write music and then I ironically shot a week away there and I still go back there to write music but whenever I'm in town I, I I go to, like, Daddy's Dogs in the Nations. That's one of my favorite lunch spots. Oh, nice. Uh, I'm in the Gulch. Uh, I've recently explored Franklin a little bit more, like Franklin and Brentwood. Uh, and East, for sure. I spent a lot of time in East. How about you, Bailey?
5: I, uh, I, I didn't have a lot of time off, um, but I was guar- we were guaranteed Labor Day weekend. And so on Labor Day weekend, I texted my friend, Katie Stevens, who lives in Nashville with her husband, and I was like, "Tell me where to go quick. These are these are the two days I can guarantee that I can see a bit of Nashville. Like, what would you recommend?" And I don't know. Have you ever heard of Tippecanoe? It's like thirty minutes, forty minutes away from like downtown Nashville. I've heard of it. And yeah. So I went to Publix, which is great because I grew up with Publix in Florida, and I got like you know sandwich makings and went to Tippecanoe and got a canoe. <laughs> like a guy. Remember? <laughs> and and I spent you know four hours and. And brought, like, a speaker and listened to, you know, Tennessee Whiskey and Chris Stapleton and uh, made friends on another canoe. And we all, like, pulled aside and swam for a minute. And, like, it was, uh, it was like, a beautiful, beautiful experience. But I adore Nashville and, uh, and would, would genuinely move there in a heartbeat. I, I love it there.
3: Well, that's awesome. I'm glad you guys like it here. So I want to talk about the movie and how you go and just go get prepared for this movie. I know, Kevin, you perform. You do music. Like, when it comes to doing a musical versus a
4: normal role, how do you approach that? It's really acting the song, in my opinion. I mean, of course, you have to treat it like any other film role where you do the scene work, you find the certain layers of the character. Uh, and I never thought that those musical moments were any different. You know, I still try to find layers, even if it just means he's having a blast. Uh, I just I just wanted there to be an arc and there to always be something interesting going on with that character. and. I definitely feel like those musical moments are, are great moments that, that showcase that.
3: And do you have to, do you go in and record all this music at once and then it's just playing back when you're filming or how does that work?
4: No, I just going to say, um, so we start with these demos of songs and then we record our own voices on the demo and, and we pretty much record the entire soundtrack within the course of, of three or four weeks uh, during rehearsal. So on top of that, we're doing these choreography lessons uh, to the demos and the new recordings as they come in. And then eventually we get on set and we shoot uh, a closer mix. It's not quite mastered yet, uh, but we just sing out loud to it uh, while the sound department holds up the speaker. It's very, it's a very arduous process.
3: And while you're filming the movie, do you have to get it like completely on one take? On for Because I, think you're, I feel like you're lip syncing to the song trying to get that right. Is it like a one take thing and you kind of keep singing the song over and over and over again?
5: Uh yeah, I mean it, it depends, it depends on the setup. Sometimes we would we would give a specific time stamp to the song cuz we knew that we only really had to get like a point of view shot of, you know, Kevin's character looking Avery at that specific window. So, um oftentimes definitely for the for the wide lens or like the crane shots, you were you were dancing with the whole song and then uh, if we had to go in and just pick up certain movements, certain shots, uh, you would say like, Oh, play it in a minute and 42 seconds. You get about a four second leeway and they'd count you in. And then you now would have to know how to pick up where that is, which actually is sometimes harder because for me in the beginning, I was like memorizing it from start to finish. Not really like, Oh, you know, it's that move at the, at the 80 second mark. <laughs> or yeah, it's that move at the 10 second mark. <laughs> it's like, it's a big, it's a big mind game that you have to play. But, um, yeah, it just, just depended on the shots.
3: So Bailey, you co-produced this movie. What goes into producing a movie like this?
5: Uh well, you know, I, I was I was late to the party when I when I signed on as a co-producer. So uh, our team, you know, uh, Alan and Steve and and Roman and the, the whole the whole crew. Um once I signed on to play Avery, I, I had produced in the past and um and so I think it just it would genuinely just was a really authentic conversation and I felt like I, I genuinely care about this movie so much and I cared about it so much back then that I couldn't help but, but have that kind of behind-the-scenes part of my head that I wanted to be a part of it as a whole. So uh, once once that was be okay, it was, it was everything from, you know, once we were done with music or dance rehearsals, I was, you know, on the calls with the team talking about the scenes or reworking scenes or, um, you know, when you're in the middle of a take running over back to Video Village to ask a question or to give a note. Um, but it was all so fulfilling and just a learning experience, and I'm so grateful that you know they, they gave me a seat at the table and I think helped me find so much of my voice that was inside of me that I didn't know that existed. But uh, the real fun has honestly been that the after fact of it all um, finding our home with Netflix, getting to you know collaborate and work with them. So everything from you know the trailer cut to poster to color correction and um, and beyond. So I've been like a sponge, just trying to embrace and learn and soak it in as much as I can.
3: So you said the movie was kind of finding its way to Netflix. Was it not was it supposed to be like an original like theatrical release, or when did Netflix kind of um, become attached to it?
4: It was independent uh, from what I understand. And maybe Bailey, you know more about this, but uh, it it was independent when I got the audition. and uh, I don't think it was until we had a rough cut. Uh, so not even like a final cut, but at least a little bit put together that Netflix even became interested. It was either that, or they had read the script and expressed interest before we shot it. I'm not sure how it went down, but I know somewhere along the way, uh, from yeah. pre-production to completion, Netflix came on board.
5: It was one of those things where I think Netflix was was kind of always in the back of our heads—a a dream. It felt like such a such a great place for it to sit, and I think you know now with the pandemic, none of us could have none of us could have imagined a better home for it, but. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was you know a sizzle reel and walking into Netflix and showing the movie <laughs> there of it is. what we got, guys. You want to come to camp? Um, and so those those meetings and those waiting games were were crazy, but uh, could not be more overjoyed that that they're allowing our our musical on their platform to you know enter the homes of families to hopefully get to touch their hearts.
3: And that is an interesting thing—the way movies have really changed in the past year. We've gone from being able to watch things in our living rooms now. As opposed to having to go out to the theater to go see a new movie. As actors, is that more exciting to you to know that later down the line, people will be able to watch it and experience a movie or whatever, however you put your work out there, that they can watch it at home?
4: With this particular film, absolutely. I think Netflix would be uh, any kind of theatrical distribution any day. And I just think it's because this particular film is so consumable and it feels so commercial. In- the way it is and and the way it's shot uh, that I feel like kids are going to want to watch it as many times as they can. And I love the idea of them being able to sit down on the couch and hit play whenever they want, as opposed to having, you know, parents drive them to the local movie theater to pay $8 for a ticket every time they want to see it. It's just a way better scenario.
3: I have one final question for you guys. Um, You both have over a million followers on Instagram. I wonder, do you even have notifications on your phone when you get like a like or a comment or is that just not existed?
4: I mean, I, I post on Instagram and get off. Like very rarely will I comment or uh, you'll see me like a few things here and there. I, I deleted my Twitter actually. I just, I can't like put every thought that goes <laughs> in my head onto uh, a character. But...
5: Yeah.
4: I don't know. This, I'm weird. I, uh, yeah.
5: I know, I know. I mean, look, social media, is it's a, it's a blessing. It can also be a really tricky way to navigate. Um, I, you know, grateful to be to, to connect to, to the people on there. And also, I think, especially while we're all cooped up, there's been so much change happening in our world in the last year. So to amplify those voices is, is always really fun. Um, but I, I have my notifications on for, for my friends and family. So I know my mama likes my pictures. <laughs> and then I, you know, I always I always try and go through and say hi whenever I can. But um,
4: but not the,
5: not the, not all the notifications. Mama Madison. <laughs> Mama Madison. Yeah, she called me the other night. She was like, "I'm been on Kevin's profile. Is he posting? I'm missing some of his photos. I need to like them." <laughs> I was like he hasn't posted anything, yet, Mom. Well, yeah.
3: well I, I appreciate the time, everybody. Go check out "A Week Away" on Netflix. Just click it right there. It's right in the living room. <laughs> Thanks so much, Mike. Bye. Bye. All right, y'all have, have a good one. Good Thank one.
5: One. You. See you. In
3: Nashville. bye See ya. Bye. <laughs> Let's get into another Best Picture movie review. Today we're talking about Mank, which is available on Netflix. It's basically the story of an alcoholic screenwriter who's trying to finish the screenplay of Citizen Kane, played by Gary Oldman, who I feel is a very diverse actor. Although this is a movie I really wasn't that excited to watch, but once he got the nomination, I was like, all right, I got to check it out. But before we get into this review, here's just a little bit of the trailer.
5: This is a business where the buyer gets nothing for his money but a memory. What he bought still belongs to the man who sold it. That's the real
4: magic of the movies. Thunder, light,
0: blood, fire, religion. Help!
4: Someone save me! All in one film. That's director proof. That's why
1: I always want
4: man
3: corral. I thought this movie had all the elements of what I was going to love in a movie. It takes place in the 1930s. It's in black and white. And it's about Gary Oldman's character who is a drunk screenwriter and he's trying to finish the screenplay of Citizen Kane. And it's amazing to me how diverse Gary Oldman is of an actor. He's done everything from The Dark Knight to this movie to Harry Potter movies. He he can do acting roles that... Nobody else really can. He has such a range, is what I find about Gary Oldman. And I think he gets little credit when it comes to that. Just looking at his acting credits, I don't think there's a role that he can't take on. Especially when it comes to Mank, when he's playing a character that's half his age. It's a hard thing to do. And across the board, I felt this movie had a stacked cast. And all these things combined, I felt, had the perfect things for making a movie. I love movies sometimes about making movies and stories about the creations of old classics and this movie it kind of sucked me in with the cinematography it's shot in black and white so i think it gives it a different dynamic than anything i've ever seen and i feel like this is just the super artsy choice that the oscars always make i feel like there's always one maybe black and white movie or a movie that just has high praise around it for the reason it gets nominated and it's not like it's a bad movie. There's just nothing engaging about it. I didn't really care about the characters, even though they were great actors. I just didn't really care what the situation was going on with the battle of him with the big wigs at the movie companies and then him and his personal life with his wife. There was just nothing that I really saw myself wanting to come back and watch this movie. And I actually watched this movie in two parts. It's over two hours long. And I sat there for an hour and I was like, nothing has really happened Like, where is the greatness that people are talking about this movie? So there was nothing that really made me want to come back and finish it other than I had to see if it got any better. And for me, I don't really think that it did. I mean, Gary Oldman was great. Even Amanda Seyfried was great. But there's no real part of me that would go recommend this movie. And when it gets put up there with all the other Best Picture nominees... This is at the bottom of the list for me. I feel like it comes in dead last. And out of all the Best Picture nominees, when you put this one up on the board, it has the lowest scores all around from audience scores and from movie critics. So what I think is this is a very niche movie. And it's a movie that the people who vote on the Oscars are going to love. They're going to love the performances. They're going to love the cinematography and the direction in this movie. But I think for the average person like you and I, we're going to watch this movie and not really get it. And I feel like I have a pretty good range in what I like. I like anything from an artsier movie that has a little bit more purpose to the big blockbuster superhero movie. So it wasn't really that for me, but the fact that it earned 10 Oscar nominations... I really think it's a little bit of Hollywood self-absorption like it reminded me a little bit how many nominations La La Land got which I did like that movie but it was also playing directly to the people who vote for the Oscar so I think that's why it got so many nominations honestly if I had to rate it I would give it two out of five old rolls of film. Time now for some movie news. The biggest thing that came out last week was that Disney announced Black Widow will come out in theaters and on Disney Plus on the same day. It's been pushed back to July 9th. I've been waiting to watch this movie for a year now. So I'm just excited that it's finally coming out. It doesn't look like they'll push it back anymore. Here's the thing, though. Disney is still trying out this Premiere Access option where they're offering it at home if you have Disney Plus, and it's 30 bucks. Now, the biggest argument here is would you pay 30 bucks to watch a movie at home? And I feel like I would. But I will admit, for the first time, I'm really kind of getting burnt out with the at-home experience. I want to go to the movie theater again, especially to experience a movie like Black Widow, one that I think needs to be seen on a really big screen, have the really big sound, experience with some other people in the room. Because I think a movie like this just kind of warrants that kind of experience. So it's not so much the 30 bucks alone. I think where I kind of have an issue is that Disney already charges a subscription fee. You pay, which is like over seven bucks to have Disney plus every single month. So you're paying 30 bucks on top of what you're already paying. I think that's why people are a little bit upset. They're like, Hey, HBO max offers viewers the chance to watch these brand new movies at home at no extra cost. The kind of playoff there is that HBO max is the most expensive streaming services. So Really, they're trying to make their money back in some type of way. So that part I get. I think for families, it's great. If you have kids, it's probably going to cost you a lot more than the 37 bucks, including that subscription fee, to take your family out. If you're just watching the movie alone for the sake of watching the movie. Now for me, unless it's a movie I'm going to watch with Kelsey, we're going to watch it together. We're essentially paying 15 bucks a ticket. Not terrible, kind of the convenience fee of watching it at home. But for movies that I'm only going to watch by myself for the sake of watching for myself to review on the podcast, that's 30 bucks. So I just don't think we need to normalize the ability to have Disney charge us another 30 bucks on top of the subscription fee. I think they break it down to 20 I think I would be a lot more prone to not have an issue with it at all if it was a little bit less. I think 20 bucks is fair there. But anyway, they've pushed back some other movies. I don't really want to say all the dates because I feel like they changed so many times. But Cruella still May 28th. And they pushed back the other Marvel movie Shanghai, to September 3rd. Hopefully, those all stay the same. Also, in movie news, they released a couple trailers that I'm excited about. They did release the Suicide Squad trailer. And I think it actually has some potential. There's so many actors in this movie that I feel like they kind of pulled out All the stops to kind of give people a second chance at the Suicide Squad. They have James Gunn directing it. The trailer looks promising. But if you missed that trailer, here's just a little bit of that. Three,
1: two. What are you guys doing? What? You, we're we're here to save you. You were going to save me? It was a
0: really good plan, too. Well, I can go back inside and you can still do it. That's patronizing.
1: I'm so sorry. Harley Quinn.
3: Bloodsport. Bloodsport. I didn't mind the first Suicide Squad. I think it had a lot more awful reviews than I think it actually was. They just don't live up to expectations like Marvel does when it comes to DC. And last week when I was talking about the Snyder Cut of Justice League, had a lot of people reach out to me and say, hey, you need to give it a chance. Like, it's actually pretty good. So I still feel like people are pretty split on whether it's good or whether it's not. I just don't think if you take a movie that was okay and make it longer, <laughs> that would makes it better. But I will watch it eventually. You guys convinced me, so still on my list. Another trailer that came out that I'm, I would say, interested to watch, but I feel like I've already seen it before. It's a movie called The Stowaway, which is going to be on Netflix on April 22nd. It stars Anna Kendrick, and it's about a crew of astronauts who find a stowaway. And it's after they've launched off the Earth's surface, they discover this person as they are headed to Mars on a two-year mission, and apparently this stowaway has caused some damage to the ship that cannot
4: be repaired. We only have enough oxygen board for three people. Everyone on board will suffocate before we ever make it to Mars.
3: And I think for the first time, I'm also getting a little bit burnt out on space movies. I love a good space movie. I loved Gravity. I loved Ad Astra. I think it's subtly one of my favorite genres just because I have such a fascination with space, the potential of aliens. I just think it's one of the funner things to see on screen. But when I heard about this movie, it just reminded me exactly of the Netflix series Away, and it kind of reminded me of every kind of space movie or series that's come out since. So I'm going to predict what this movie is going to be about. Again, I've only seen the trailer, but I have a feeling they're going to kind of play to a formula that other space movies have played to. So here's what happens. There's some big dramatic intro where they're kind of figuring out should they go to space or not? Somebody wants to back out and Kendrick's like, we're going to go to space. They go to space. They find the stowaway. They learn about the damage the stowaway has caused to the ship and then realize one of them has to go outside of the ship and try to repair the thing. So they go out. It almost works, but then something goes wrong and this person either gets injured or they die at this point. And then they're all really thinking they're going to (laughs) die if they're not able to fix the ship. They find out some crazy detail about this stowaway and why they got there. And then, in the midst of the darkest moment of the movie, they figure out a new plan. They put it into action. It works. They land safely and cut to black. I think that's what that movie is going to be. I feel like it's on the verge of being an overdone movie genre, but probably not going to stop me from watching it. And then finally, in movie news, a website is offering $1,000 to binge watch all 24 James Bond movies before the release of No Time to Die, the 25th film in the franchise, which comes out on September 30th, and I would say that $1,000 is not enough money to watch all 24 James Bond films, but the winner does get $1,000 plus a $100 Amazon gift card to rent all the movies and then a $50 AMC gift card to go see the new movie when it releases. And you have until April 16th to apply to that. The only thing I would do this for is watching all the Marvel movies leading up to the release. Because I kind of do that on my own anyway. I like to go back and re-watch some of the movies to kind of know what's probably going to pop up and kind of get refreshed with the characters. But I don't feel like you need to watch all these James Bond movies to know what's going to happen in the new ones. So a $1,000, bucks, do not really think it's worth it there. But if you're a fan of James Bond, you can go to nerdbear.com to get signed up for that. And that'll do it for movie news. Before I get out of here, I got to give my shout out of the week, which I do every single week to somebody who sends me a DM on Instagram, tweets me at MikeDistro, a message on my Facebook page, or you can email me moviemiked at gmail.com. And this week, it's actually a special shout out to the B-Team Facebook page. There was a poll on there that asked, which of the Bobby Bone Show podcast does everyone listen to? At number one was The Bobby Cast. At number two was Best Bits of the Week with Morgan number two. At number three was Four Things with Amy Brown. And at number four, Movie Mike's Movie Podcast, which I was actually really excited about. I commented on there that I was honored to be number four. And I really meant that 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 you have continued to listen to this podcast and support me. You comment about it, you tweet about it, the things you like, the things you want to see different. So I see all those things and I do take it into consideration every time I sit down and do this podcast. So I will be adding that to my resume, the number four most liked podcast in the Nashville Podcast Network. Appreciate you all for listening. Hope to talk to you again next Monday here on the podcast. And until then, later.
1: I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, in General. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's
0: right. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast Climbing in Heels is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist.